You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 238. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you again this week with a diverse show just ahead of our annual 2024 predictions show where we reveal how well our 2023 predictions panned out and we set out our bold new predictions for 2024. We also set to launch our 2024 cash-rich, profitable Canadian stall cap stock report this next week. Clients, look out for that 125-plus page report in your inboxes early next week. We start this week by answering a viewer question on Parex Resources, Inc., single PXT on the TSX, an oil-weighted producer focused on conventional high-productivity reservoirs in Colombia, where it is the largest independent oil and gas company. The stock pays a 6% dividend, and viewers ask us our take on Parex as a way to gain exposure to oil. Aaron answers a viewer question on helium and finds out it's not just for balloons. The segment has garnered a high degree of attention in 2023, and Aaron gives you a 101 on helium itself, its uses, and lets you know if there is any value in the public company space in this sector. In the wake of Charlie Munger's recent passing on November 28th at 99 years old, Brennan provides us with a retrospective on the life and times of the legendary investor. Finally, in honor of the release of our cash-rich, profitable Canadian small cap report next week, Brett answers a viewer question on NAMSYS, symbol CTZ on the TSX Venture, a microcap which provides cash management solutions through a fully integrated cash management SaaS system which provides smart safe monitoring, cash in transit logistics, deposit tracking, online change orders, and cash vault management. Brett will let you know if this profitable microcap offers value in your portfolio. All right, let's get to the show. We welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn and the Killer Bees. Brett and Brennan, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Salutations. Good. What about yourself? I am I am well. Anything interesting? You guys all preparing for Christmas? Um, I know we're preparing the cash rich. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, are you guys ready for Christmas? It's Brandon, Christmas you got your tree up? To the clients, Ryan, is that what you're saying? This is our present to our clients, mm-hmm. the cash rich report every year. We'll have a couple other presents too. We got some other special reports coming out ASAP. But uh, I know that one is coming out and uh, that is my present to you. The, the, fi- the thing is, to be honest, that report, that cash rich report they're releasing next week, the research takes like three to four months. So we've already actually produced two recommendations uh, from this research. Both of those are cash rich, cash producing Canadian small caps that were largely unknown and remain largely unknown. The first was released in late August. Uh, the stock has actually gained 66% plus 
since August. Um, it was recommended. It has reported record Q3 results since the recommendation. They've conducted a substantial course issuer bid, buying back and retiring a significant amount of shares. And the second company, uh, again, another cash-rich Canadian small cap, is released just over a month ago after it released record quarterly numbers. The stock itself has jumped 30%. We like them both long-term as they possess solid current valuations, including excellent balance sheets for companies of their size, good long-term growth prospects, and they were recently trading at very, very reasonable valuations. Right now, the valuations are still reasonable if you're looking one to three years forward. So we'll look forward to releasing that report. But as we do that research, like we don't wait until uh, the report is released to come out with a company if we see good value in that. We release those as, uh, as we're doing that research over time. And those were two opportune buys we made this fall. Uh, the markets in the small cap sector was depressed. Two companies that stood out and, you know, the market has already reacted significantly positively to those numbers from the companies as they come out. And the good thing is they're driven by numbers, not just sentiment in the sector. But anyways, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Christmas. You got your uh, you tree up. Me, yeah, you were asking me before if I had my tree up. No, I do not. Unfortunately, I'm not in the, the Christmas spirit, which is sad. Terrible, Brennan. Do you, do you put up a tree as a single man, Brennan? No, um, I don't. But uh, maybe I should to make my my place a little lively. We'll get you a little plastic one. You can just yeah. Yeah, get one of those little plastic. Uh, yes, get yeah. it done. So I have a question for you guys. How many presents did you buy on Amazon versus going into the into an actual store or? Is there like a divvy or? A- well, I just start around my presidents now. Presents now. What are you, you talking about? It start. <laughs> Last night I bought one. Yeah. Uh, on Amazon or in person? No, directly. But it was online, but not through oh, okay. Amazon. I have nice, ordered nice. some things through Amazon, yes, but I still got a few to come in. With yep. the same day shipping, I may just order them on the twenty fourth and wrap them that night or something. So. You're I'm kidding. Man. I'm kidding. <laughs> But Aaron, are you doing shopping online? Do well, you do I mean, shopping? I have to confess, my uh, my wife does ninety nine percent of the shopping for. Christmas I make a present. similar confession. But yes, everything everything is online. I would say mm-hmm. pretty much close to one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, same yeah. thing with me. Yeah, um, but basically, I mean, I did buy some things on on uh, Amazon for my mother, but uh, for my dad, just online. Got him a. Well, maybe I shouldn't say. Yeah, he listens. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. He might be listening. Yeah. No, no. One one of the things I do buy a few items. I make a weekly uh, run to Costco, and I'll buy some items there as well. So mm-hmm. I, I know, so I see them. But you know, it is really efficient to buy something. You know, things online. One of the things. This is just a side note. I was I was actually looking for a car. I took my car in for servicing over the weekend, and um, you know, I there was a new vehicle that uh, had just been released, and I wanted to see it and touch it because you know you're spending a significant amount of cash on a vehicle right and um i was told just look at it online and you know i'm not in that world yet where i'm gonna buy a vehicle that i'm gonna have for like 5 10 15 years or something online without ever touching it particularly a model that was just released that you can't let it's not like you can see it you know driving down like literally there's hardly any out on the road right now so i was just going to maybe take a look and they said well you can look at it online and i said um I'd probably like to touch the vehicle before I slap down a significant amount of cash on this. So that is one thing that I'm not yet. Aaron, would you buy a car online? 
no, without I mean, sight I think unseen. I do my, my initial research online, but you got to yes, drive the car before you buy yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. W- would you buy a couch before seeing your actual house? My my cousin ended up buying a couch before he actually saw the basement well, that he was going to put it in. That's... <laughs> and uh, luckily, it fit. But <laughs> hopefully, your cousin isn't before listening. Buying a car without a test drive. No. <laughs> I, I agree, but I still think it's kind of funny. He he just bought some layout of a couch, doesn't yeah. know how it's going to fit in his house. That you Luckily, need to be in the space and measure it out. That's that's yeah. a that's a rookie Ooh. mistake there. I would yeah. say, yeah. Uh, he, I'm sure he thought he got a great deal, so maybe that was <laughs> yes. it, right? Excellent. Okay. Well, we should get into the show. We got a lot and a diverse show this week, so I'm going to share my screen here if I can do that, and I'm going to look at Parax, a company we've. Uh, I looked at a lot, a number of times in the past. All right, I'm going to look at Parex. This is a company we actually recommended to clients years ago uh, as a way to play energy, oil, and gas. Um, it was a cash-rich business. It traded about the $5 range then. It's now 24 in that range. Uh, we don't have it in active coverage. We sold it at one point. But I'm going to get into the company today to look at where the business is now. Parex Resources, PXD on the TSX. Trades around $24.63, $2.5 billion market cap, and pays a solid, strong 6% dividend. They are an oil-weighted producer focused on conventional high-productivity reservoirs in or reserves in Colombia, where it is the largest independent oil and gas company. Uh, Cash is on the balance sheet historically. Right now, they're in a kind of net debt position, but historically, it's been uh, cash-rich. at his material free cash flow and an active normal course issuer bid, Parex has been well managed and is a solid international ENP company, which, despite possessing significant geopolitical risk, has outperformed the vast majority of Canadian exploration and production companies over the long term. So let's look at Parex's uh, Q3 recent results here. As you may have expected, uh, given the price of energy coming down over the past year, if you look year over year, revenues, EBITDA, and EPS were down. Uh, If we look at some of the highlights for this company, record quarterly average oil and natural gas production, 54,573 barrels of oil equivalent per day. That's an increase of 7% and 1% over the prior quarter. Uh, FFO was a decrease, and again, That was driven primarily by lower crude oil pricing and increased tax offset by higher production. The higher production is a good sign. Working capital deficit here, 58 million. That increased by 55 million as a result of timing of certain capital expenditures. We'll talk about that in a second. Management expects working capital in Q4 to be positive once again and build through 2024 with the forecast of production growth, declining capital expenditures, and inventory deployment, subject to commodity prices, as always, remaining in line with Q3 2023. So let's look at the guidance going forward. Parix's 2023 average production guidance is in the range of 54,000 to 57,000 barrels of oil uh, equivalent per day, and capital CapEx for the year, which is a big CapEx spend this year, uh, is expected to be 450 to 475 million. That remained unchanged. Building on strong current production, Parex expects Q3 average production of about to exceed 60,000 
barrels per day. The company expects to release its 2024 formal guidance in January 2024. We'll look for that alongside an updated three-year outlook looking forward. And that will be an excellent guide as to where we think the company can be three years from now. Now, building on strong production, the company is positioned to bring online three key wells over the remainder of Q4 2023. So we expect production to go move higher. Valuations, the forward-looking valuation does look attractive at under 1.8 times what we expect 2024 EBITDA to be on an EV to EBITDA basis. Now, our take, it's been a tough 2023, the first half particularly for the company. Uh, One of their main blocks was shut down from January 21st to April 17th. That cut off about 66,500 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And Perex site, uh, first site, the company is taking, has this big swing portfolio that's looking at its targeting opportunities with the potential to produce 20,000 plus barrels of oil per day. It was unsuccessful. This led to a financial loss of over 55 million in Q2 due to asset impairment. We also saw higher CapEx, largely for paid for from cash and cash flow, which is good, but the company continues to invest heavily for growth. They doled out over one or 156 million in Q3 as Perex drilled 16 gross wells in the quarter. That CapEx will likely recede in 2024. Key here, as always, is energy prices. Oil prices have declined from their 2022 peaks. They're currently off their 2023 uh, lows though. Once again, Perex continues to hold above, well above average geopolitical risk, but the valuation discount at under 1.7 times our expected EV to EBITDA uh, ratio, it appears to be more, more than compensating investors for uh, the risk here. And if you want exposure to oil and gas, particularly oil, uh, Perex is an option in that segment. Yeah, I think like the the reason we're seeing or partially the reason we're seeing weakness in the price of oil is because of uh, the U.S. hitting um, basically uh, their highest production numbers that they've ever hit before. Um, Like I'm looking here, average barrels per day at 13.1 million. Um, So while we're seeing, you know, U.S. production increase, we're kind of seeing Saudi Arabia and Russia's uh, um, how much barrels per day they're doing decline. Um, you know, I did see in the news recently that Putin was visiting uh, Saudi Arabia uh, to, you know, try to um, negotiate or talk about, you know, stabilizing the price, because obviously, as they're going through this war with Ukraine, uh, they need the price of oil to remain high uh, for the country. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where oil goes here, just, you know, if the United States production continues to increase like it has been recently. Um, but like you said, Ryan, um, if you know you someone wants to take a play on oil, you know Perix is potentially one of the better names. Yeah, there's a net debt situation right now, but as you saw, their management already expects working cap to go positive uh, by the fourth quarter. And you know this company has always operated responsibly, not gone into significant debt. Typically, you see a significant net cash balance. They're spending for growth. I think this company needed to ignite growth to really drive the next, uh, you know, the next growth phase in terms of uh, where the stock could be over the next one to three years. Um, If they come out with positive guidance, which they should for the next three years, a three-year plan, uh, you know, Perix is viable. 
we're continuing to evaluate it for clients. Uh, you know, if the company does all the right things and oil goes down 20% this year, Parax likely doesn't do well. The same thing, if they do the right things and Parax goes or oil goes up 20%, it likely does well. Uh, if you want exposure, make sure you're paying attention to the balance sheet of the companies they're owning in this sector, because if prices go down, profits get squeezed, these companies can get into real trouble. Um, and, and we've seen companies like cut their dividends, come down uh, and in significant, you know, some companies have gone bankrupt in, in commodity based segments. So you got to pay attention to that balance sheet. And uh, there's some people that don't and it's to their peril. All right, Aaron. Let's move to your segment. I'm really interested to see. Uh, we had a couple, uh, well, more than a couple over the course of this year. Uh, viewers, listeners ask about helium. Uh, it's great that you've looked at this sector and uh, you found out something very interesting that helium is not just used in balloons, right? So that you're going to not. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you're well, tell I, us I also else. knew that it was used to make your voice sound really high. Yes. Um, you you but, might need uh, that right now. It's, eh? it's actually a very vital very vital gas. So we had a question from a listener. He, uh, Trevor, he sent in an email. Uh, he said that he's interested in the helium space. There's been a number of comments on business channels um, about the lack of helium for industrial and medical purposes. There are a number of stocks exploring the helium production. He asked if we've been following this group of companies and two that he mentioned are Royal Helium and First Helium, among others. Uh, what are our thoughts? So so yes, apparently helium is not just for balloons. Um, big surprise. So what is it for? Well, let's just take a look at helium fundamentals 101. So helium is a gas with unique physical and chemical properties. Uh, it's very light. It's also, um, it can withstand very low temperatures though changing forms. So this makes it a very valuable commodity and areas where it's, um, where it's used, critical sectors would include healthcare technology, aerospace, it's used in MRI machines. It's used at a lot of universities for tests um, that are done at, uh, at very low temperatures. Um, in terms of production, there are two countries in the world that produce 85% of helium, and these are Qatar and the United States. Um, however, US production is in decline, um, while the demand for helium is expected to continue to grow. So the forecasts really vary, but you know, around the five to six percent compound annual growth range in terms of demand over the next five years. <clears throat> now, one thing is that helium is not publicly traded on an exchange; it's pi privately traded between businesses. Um, so this makes the pricing data more difficult to obtain, and certainly, pricing is going to vary depending on um, where helium is being traded, in what quantities, and then the quality of the helium. One thing that I'm going to warn people, if you just Google helium price chart, there is a cryptocurrency called helium, and that's really what's going to come up 99% um, of the time. So don't be duped by that. Um, make sure you're actually searching for the gas if you're doing some research. But right now, helium prices are at all-time highs, and this is due to a number of factors, including that, that uh, gradually increasing demand, also supply chain issues. One of the things that have been mentioned uh, are, is Russia and the, the war in Ukraine, um, and as well, declining production. So if we look at the, um, the distribution of production here, we can see right at the top of the list, Qatar and the United States accounting for the vast majority of production. 
Um, and then terms of uh, helium demand, um, well, we can see that balloons are on the list and actually balloons do make up 10% of helium demand, but um, healthcare, um, MRIs, uh, that's 22%, semiconductor conductor manufacturing, 19%, um, welding, uh, aerospace. So it's, it's quite a, an array of different use cases, um, many of which are critical. Um, of course, I'm referring to balloons, um, but essentially, it's 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 a critical, essential commodity for many many sectors. Now, looking around for pricing information, as I said, it's very difficult to come across that information. I found a few resources. Um, one here on the uh, the Oregon Group website shows a price chart um, going back to the to the um, 2020s. Um, so we can see at the start of the year, prices were around like 350, and then towards um, towards mid year they were they were upwards around 500. Um, but according according to uh, research, you know, depending on who you're talking to, some people are paying prices far in excess. So helium prices um, are at all time highs, um, with a number of commentators reporting helium spot prices between 2,000 to 3,000. Um, per million cubic feet. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely been a boom in this market. Um, but of course, the, the, the listener's question was about how do we invest? And he brought up two companies. So I'm going to really quickly take a look at these two companies. Uh, first one is Royal Helium. I pulled up the income statement of this company. I'm going to take a hard pass on this right away. What you can see here on the income statement, first of all, there is no revenue line. So this company does not generate revenue. If you go to its website, it will say that it has a resource, one of the largest resources of um, undeveloped helium in Canada. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but they're not de generating a dime of revenue right now, never mind profitability. So about 246 million shares already, pre-revenue company, we would just consider this a speculation. I don't know enough about the properties to really assign it any value, um, but they're certainly not producing at this time. And then the second company, a little bit better, First Helium. Um, there's marginal revenue, about 265000 in revenues for the last quarter, uh, but that, that's very minimal revenue. The company's still losing a lot of money. Um, and one thing that I will note is that First Helium, they're really actually a primary, primarily an oil um, producing company, uh, although they, they market themselves as a helium company, I don't believe that there's any meaningful helium production yet. So these revenues are actually from oil production. I believe it's light sweet crude. Um, so they did talk about um, achieving 100,000 uh, barrels, but that's cumulative over their, the lifetime of the company. Um, so really, they, they've not been producing any type of meaningful revenue. You can see revenue here is actually down from the previous year, 1.9 million down to uh, 265,000 in revenue um, in, in the most recent quarter. So this, again, we would consider this a complete speculation. Now, you know, maybe they are able to develop a property, but that has yet to be seen. Uh, share price performance has been very poor on this company. I think that investors, if they, you know, want to take an intelligent approach, could just basically wait for some positive, tangible news before they, before they get into the stock. Now, I know that um, that the the listener was really hoping that I would come up with some good 
Helium recommendations. I did look around at what some other options were in the market. In terms of actual producers of Helium, um, it, it really, they, they, I wasn't able to find any companies that were producing um, Helium profitably at a significant rate. So all the companies that I found in the production side were really actually exploration companies. Now there are um, helium processing companies. One of those would be uh, Lind PLC, which is actually uh, a major chemical manufacturer. Um, it is, it's a company that trades on the, the NASDAQ 100. So it is going to be part of our NASDAQ 100 report. Um, but helium, again, it's not a major part of its business. It's not really moving the needle for it because it's far from a, a pure play helium producer. So um, unfortunately, right now, most of the actual producers are private. So in terms of an investment category, there's really limited options. And the vast majority of stocks that I see are just speculative exploration companies. I hope they do transition into actual production at some point. Um, but you're really just uh, you're really just gambling buying these stocks right now. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I'm a little familiar with Royal Helium's projects, but again, like you said, it's it's a project company, um, or it's not even really a, a company yet. What's your familiarity um, with them? Then? Well, just understanding or just knowing uh, that they have one project in Climax, Climax Saskatchewan. Um, Where's that again? It's basically just above Montana. It's pretty close to the border. Um, the and then they also them? have another project in Alberta, which is supposedly going to be in a plant that's supposedly going to be coming online in the second half of the year. So we might see revenue start to come along. However, like Aaron said, just because they're now all of a sudden producing helium doesn't mean that they're going to be profitable doing it. They still need to prove to us, or at least for our investment criteria, that they could do that before. Yeah, let's see some production. Let's see what that mm -hmm. looks like in terms of revenue and and earnings, and then and then go yeah, from there. exactly. And you know, like like I was saying, their project in Saskatchewan, I believe that they're going to be making a decision in 2024 on uh, that project. But again, who knows if all of a sudden there's a negative decision and they don't you know go through with it? And what's the capex? Again, I'm vaguely familiar when I say that I'm familiar with the with the company um, and its projects. But anyways. That's my two cents. Yeah, and you're talking with stocks like this. Generally speaking, you're talking about absolute speculation versus mm -hmm. investing. And and you know we conduct research on a company, look for cash flow, revenue, and earnings, and and look to make an investment over a three to five to ten plus year span. And when you're looking at a company that you know has no revenue, no earnings, or just minimal revenue and nothing close to earnings. And I do note that both of the share structures of these companies, you know, are already getting up to the hundred, you know, one's 200 and something million, you know, on, uh, there's not a ton of cash right now there with uh, the share structures where they are in the business. Uh, they'll have to raise a ton to bring a resource actually online. Uh, there's a ton of things that can go wrong on the way towards that. I think people buy these companies because they want absolute blue sky potential. That's what they're looking for to buy a company that's at 20 cents. They think can go to $2 or plus, or, you know, have those type of gains that, you know, these type of investors who are, uh, you know, enticed into these type of blue sky potentials situations over the long term, the companies that actually produce blue sky potential are some of the, you know, most boring businesses out there or just good solid businesses that produce cash flow. And, and you'll, then you will get the returns you're looking at. And I mean, we, we have a company this year, and I talked about this company many times, Hammond Power, that 
you know, they make transformers that steps up and steps down power uh, to steps it up to have it travel over a long distance, step it down to be in a charging station. They're used in every Tesla charging station. I mean, it's not sexy. That's a little bit of the sexier part of the story, but it's basically the best performing stock on the TSX this year. It's up over 300%. It's up 14,000% in the last 20 years. That is the type of return you're looking for when you invest in these companies. Why not buy a business that has great fundamentals, good solid cash flow and earnings, and hold on to that business rather than somebody, some company you're just crossing your fingers, will hit a resource, bring it online. That's not investing, okay? Like I get on my soapbox right now, but that is not investing. You're speculating. The more companies you invest in with that type or put your money in, it's not investing and you place your you know, hard-earned dollars in and companies like that, the more money you'll likely lose over the long term. It's like gambling in Vegas. The house always wins. Uh, that's what happens when you try to put money into these. I'm not even going to call it investing. When you speculate in these type of uh, potential investments, buy great companies that you know you can buy that trade at low prices but have fundamentals. There are not many out there, but there are some. Look for them or have some team of research analysts who looks for those and can do it for you. All right, just really uh, pushing your point. Home, a Royal Helium last Friday, since they can't obviously pay interest, they have no revenue, so they have no income, yeah. is they had to pay off some of their debt with shares in kind. So they're issuing yeah. shares yeah. instead of interest. So yeah. every single time that happens, your shares really lose value. You can see that always in these ex exploration companies, their stock price will just slowly go down and down consistently because they were consistently issuing shares to fund their operations instead of actually having some sort of income. Yeah, it's it's one out of 200 plus that actually hit and become, you know, a great company that you want to own. You actually have better odds in Vegas. And we say that all the time and you'll have more fun. So if you want to speculate, you might as well go there. Why not speculate on a company that has cash flow earnings right now that trades at low valuations that can have that long-term gain in your portfolio? And we've seen that with many companies. They're just good, solid businesses that grow their cash flow over time and they don't dilute you. All right, I think uh, we're going to move on to, is it Brennan? Brennan, you're going to do a, a retrospective, I believe, on the life and times of, who is it, the Brennan? Munger. Yes, Charlie Munger. Yes, Charlie Munger. I just wanted to make sure you're paying attention. There. <laughs> you betcha. Um, so There's like a handsome said, man, eh? Yeah, he sure is. And I'm looking yeah. at you, Brennan. If only I can keep that in my hair for <laughs> as long as he did. Um, so yes, Charlie Munger, uh, like Ryan said in the intro, uh, with Charlie Munger's recent passing on November 28th of 2023 at 99 years old, I thought that I would include him as our investor spotlight on the podcast, uh, considering his fabulous investing career and his overall life philosophy, which I tend to agree with. So to give a quick rundown on his life, Charlie was born in 1924 in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and as a teenager, he worked at Buffett & Son, a grocery store owned actually by Warren Buffett's grandfather, Ernest P. Buffett. And he enrolled in the University of Michigan, uh, but at 19 years old in 1943, he dropped out and joined the military, but eventually returned to Harvard Law School where he got a law degree. Uh, and just a little bit of a fun fact. Uh, he didn't end up meeting Warren actually until 1959 at a dinner party in Omaha. So even though he did work at uh, his his grandpa's uh, um, store, they you know had only basically crossed paths. 
Now, he managed his own investment firm from 1962 to 1975. And over that period, according to one of Warren's books, uh, Charlie earned on average an annual return of 19.8% over that period versus uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which returned 5%. Uh, he joined Berkshire Hathaway in 1978 as vice chairman, and he was also the CEO of Westco Financial from 1984 to 2011, which essentially Westco started as a savings and loan institution, but it was eventually or but it eventually held a concentrated equity portfolio and was uh, eventually acquired by Berkshire Hathaway. Now, I wrote an article a few years back on Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's investing styles after I watched the 2017 HBO special called Becoming Warren Buffett. And you can actually find the article on our website if you are interested in reading it. And what I came to understand after watching the documentary is that both Charlie and Warren's value investing principles were relatively the same. However, Warren praised Charlie for taking him beyond the limited scope of Benjamin Graham's value investing philosophy where uh, Warren actually said, Charlie shoved me in the direction of not just buying bargains as Ben Graham had taught me. This was the real impact he had on me. It took a powerful force to move me on from Graham's limited views. It was the power of Charlie's mind. He expanded my horizons. And to fully grasp what Warren means here, uh, we can look at both of their, their strategies early on in their career. So first, Warren's strategy, he essentially came to rely on uncovering stocks that were trading at deep discounts to the market, frequently gravitating towards small cap or thinly traded stocks where opportunities were potentially being overlooked because these thinly traded stocks were not followed by many analysts. Now, Charlie's strategy, on the other hand, focused on good stocks that were trading near or at fair value. And these businesses may not be extremely cheap, but the technology or economic moat that the company maintains is far superior to others and could provide investors solid returns over the long term. And this economic moat investing strategy of buying great businesses at fair values rather than discounted prices was what Warren came to learn early in his relationship with Charlie, and he quotes this many times. So the bottom line is that both Charlie and Warren's valuation principles were the same, never purchasing overvalued stocks in relation to their cash flows, but ultimately the stocks that they gravitated to at the beginning of their careers had very uh, or had a very different profile. So uh, lastly here, just to go through a few key points on Charlie's philosophy, uh, and yeah, it's just some quotes. So on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, he says, crypto is an investment in nothing. I regarded it as almost insane to buy this stuff or to trade it. It's just ridiculous that anybody would buy this stuff as there is no compelling reason to own it. Stocks, which represent pieces of real businesses and claims to their profits are far superior investments. I would agree. When he uh, was asked about EBITDA at one of uh, the Berkshire Hathaway's annual meetings, he said, uh, I think you would understand any presentation using the word EBITDA if every time you saw that word, you just substituted to the phrase bullshit earnings. <laughs> Not thinking about depreciation as an expense strikes us as absolutely crazy. Now, he also went on to uh, coin the term uh, Lollapalooza effect during a 1995 Harvard speech. Uh, and essentially, he says that, you know, humans have many inherent biases and tendencies that can sway our behavior one way or another. 
And when several of them act in concert to drive us toward a particular action, you have a Lollapalooza effect. And the Lollapalooza effect can create large-scale drivers of human behavior and often error. And a good example of this is the 2008 selling of subprime mortgages uh, because essentially it became commonplace uh, in the banking industry, but obviously ended up uh, in disaster. Now, this next quote uh, and this is the last one, but it is my all-time favorite, as I like to think of myself as a student of Stoicism, and is probably why I've come to love Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett so much, because they radiate a Stoic attitude toward investing and life. So Charlie's quote here is, the first rule of a happy life is low expectations. If you have unrealistic expectations, you're going to be miserable your whole life. You want to have reasonable expectations and take life's results, good and bad, as they happen with a certain amount of stoicism. Now, this quote is so similar to wisdom from ancient philosophers, such as you know Buddha, who said happiness does not depend on what you have or who you are. It solely relies on what you think. Socrates said contentment is natural wealth. Luxury is artificial poverty. Plato said the greatest wealth is to live content with little. So the similarity here to these ancient quotes is that Charlie is essentially saying you must control your own mind's expectations and judgments to live a happy life, uh, which is essentially the underlying uh, principle of stoicism. And a happy life is what I believe Charlie lived based on this principle. So that is uh, my piece on Charlie Munger, RIP. Good. Good job. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's pretty incredible that he was still going to work every day at 99 years old. Um, yeah, yeah. I find that one of the most amazing parts yeah. about him. Yeah. And like he took hours and hours of questions at this year's annual general meeting at 99 up yeah. there, mm -hmm. still very much in it and still yeah. very much, um, you know, lucid and, and, and part of the investment decisions of uh, Berkshire at this stage. It's amazing. Did you I'm guys know that Warren Buffett is always seen as like the, the front man, yeah. the face of Berkshire Hathaway, but I've always suspected that a lot of the brains behind it was more attributable to, to Charlie than, than people really gave him credit for. Like if you watch the AGMs, you know, Warren Buffett, he's very charismatic. He likes to joke around, tell jokes, tell stories and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, Munger is just a very straight shooter to the point where like, Sometimes he shoots so straight with his answers and just right to the point that people yeah. like, including Warren will like laugh because, you know, his answer is going to be like a four word sentence. Whereas, you know, Warren will go on and on with the story and an analogy and a, you know, so it's. Yeah, no, I think there was a good team in that respect to have yeah. the two, I mean, two it's, from it's... those perspectives. And as Brennan said, he even credits charlie uh for expanding his investing yeah. horizons because mm -hmm. he had a very warren had a very rigid criteria basically when he started yeah like yep. you could almost make the analogy or the similarity where like at keystone ryan's you know the face aaron's behind the scene the brains you know you can almost make <laughs> yeah we're just gonna move <laughs> on from that and um uh, do you do you know that as a fun fact to to keep actually let's keep up with that facade right there and say that do you know that um he trained as a meteorologist during World War II. I did know. Did anybody well, know? I did know that doing my research, but yeah, yeah. So he was a meteorologist for I think the Air Force. Uh, 
Um, I, I, I think his life would have turned out differently if he was like your guy on Channel 6 Weatherman. You know, like that would yeah. be a little bit different if Charlie Munger. I'd love to see that, though. Charlie Munger being the, <laughs> the Channel 6 Weatherman. Just that would be a, a different life and uh, maybe a different impact on uh, the investor or the world, generally speaking, that he would have had. But I'd still like to see him uh, in front of one of those screens pointing out, you know, yeah. a high of six, a low of whatever. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Finally, we're going to close it out. No one had it. I mean, and we'll say, um, you know, we pass on our condolences to Charlie Munger's family and everybody uh, who is impacted by his life uh, and at Berkshire, obviously. But we'll move on to uh, our segment on uh, NAMSIS, uh, cer certainly a microcap profitable business. And we've talked about it before, but Brett's going to take a look into them again. Uh, they were part of our, uh, our upcoming cash rich uh, uh, report coming up. So um, you got some info on NAMSIS and whether or not it provides value. Yeah, so a little teaser on our uh, cash rich yeah, report exactly. there. It, it was the type of companies that we really looked at over the past four or so months. And you'll yep. get another look at uh, the companies in about a week or so. For sure. And exactly when we release it. So NAMSYS, symbol CTZ on the TSX Venture, provides cash management solutions through a fully integrated cash management uh, SaaS software service, which provides smart, safe monitoring cash in transit logistics, deposit tracking, online change orders, and cash vault management. The company sells its products under the branding Sirion and Currency Controller. The stock is up about 30% year-to-date at $0.90 cents a share, or $24.5 million as a market cap. So looking at this last quarter, fiscal Q3 2023, which is from the end of July, revenue increased 11.2% to $1.5 million from $1.4 million. Notably, as the company's products are SaaS, recurring revenue is 98% of the total revenue with the Rainer Bayless Legacies business, which for microcap companies, you normally don't see that level of recurring revenue, which is all obviously a good thing to see recurring revenue. As well, management did note for this last quarter that revenue growth was actually weaker than expected as the rollout of some projects were slower than anticipated. So we'll see if those start to come online during the next couple quarters. As well, even though Namsys is a Canadian-listed company and is headquartered in Toronto, over 95% of the sales are actually based in U.S. dollars, as both the U.S. sales, which make up the majority of its sales, but as well as its international sales, which are based, which are Caribbean and uh, Mexico, are also conducted in U.S. dollars and priced in U.S. dollars. This means the company really benefits when the Canadian dollar weakens against the U.S. dollar. Gross margins were down to 59.9% from 62.1% in the prior year. It seems to be hovering around that 60% mark. Then quarter on quarter, you might see it go up or down a percent or two. Net income remained really effectively flat at $360,000 or one cent a share, as higher revenue was really offset by that lower gross margin, higher SDNA, which was uh, partially due to share compensation, as the shares have obviously appreciated over the past year, as well as they were impacted by that foreign exchange as the Canadian dollar strengthened compared to the quarter in the prior year. So for the last nine months, however, though, NAMSIS net net income has grown 18.5% to $1.15 million from 970000 As well, the company did not have heightened expenses throughout the entire year, so that really trickled down to that bottom line as the higher revenue, which it saw throughout the year, was able to actually make it to the bottom line. So 
The balance sheet, however, is very strong in that it is holds $6.9 million in cash and short-term investments. The short-term investments are GICs. And cash as a whole is 28% of the market cap at this time. Unlike many other small cap companies, Namsys actually benefits from rising interest rates as it holds these short-term investments. For Q3, in it uh, generated 62000 in income, which is effectively free income if the company is unable to deploy the cash elsewhere and it's going to hold the cash anyways, compared to if it was still up effectively a 0% interest rate, which we were seeing a couple of years ago. So really overall for this last quarter, good financial position continues with some revenue growth, but the growth just did not hit the bottom line for Q3. So where can the company actually see growth for a mature industry? For Namsys, the company wants to push into international growth. The company is looking at growing market share in both Europe and Africa, as they've recently secured data centers through Amazon in Stockholm and Cape Town earlier this year. An opportunity has well presented itself for the company in Europe, as its European competitor, CPS, declared bankruptcy. However, any growth really hasn't hit the financials. If you look at their financials, it's Europe's not even given a line item, it's just included other, and that didn't move year over year. Really, though, this is a common method for individual companies to expand in mature or declining industries, waiting for either an exit of another company, if they just exit the company, liquidate their assets, or they go bankrupt, like in this case. So they really want to buy out that, that company, or they want to just take over bankrupt companies' market share. Past that, their only other European competitor, which they named, was Guy Secchi and Deverent. I butchered that probably because it's a German name, but it is their only other competitive in uh, Europe at this time. So it's really always interesting to see when you see these maturing or declining industries, how they consolidate over time, because there can be a lot of value, even though it is a declining industry. So a quick look at valuations. The company has become more expensive over the past year as the share price has increased. The company's price to earning is 17.7 times and EV to earnings is 12.7 times. EV in this case really just removes the cash from the market cap because they have no debt. As well, using FFO or funds from operation, the company trades at a price to FFO of 17 and a half times as the company's cash flows have closely aligned with gap earnings over time, which is good to see because that in, shows a high earnings quality when cash is actually matching what their net income is showing. So our take, the company is valued high at this time, but if the company is able to deploy its cash in an accretive way through an acquisition or a merger of some sort, it would obviously be a boon to the company as the additional income from interest of roughly about 5% from those GICs is nice, but is still well below what you really want for investing in equity, especially at a fully invested rate of 17.7 PE. You really need higher than 5% return. The growth for the company is good on a year-to-date uh, a period, but the last quarter was weaker, so we'll really see over the next quarter or two if they're able to continue that growth, which we saw for the entire year. And if Q3 was just a blip due to that share comp, due to a bit of a delay on rollout of projects, or if that's going to turn into a more long-term delay. What really would push the dial in the benefit of Namsys is really seeing revenues from Europe, from Africa, or any other reasons that they were able to acquire in or move into organically, but it's not currently present in. That is really where they can see their growth as they've effectively saturated the Caribbean market with them. They're really the only player there, and they have taken over the majority of the U.S. 
about this time, we'll really just continue to monitor Namsys. Yeah, I think it's a great summary on the business. We think it's a good, solid micro cap or nano cap, even in the Canadian market. Um, you know, good, reasonable growth is what I would say. But I mean, still on a trailing 12 month basis, it's just 6 million in revenues. Uh, it's gone from back, you know, over the last 10 years, back in uh, 2023, about 1.3. You know, every year essentially growing revenues, but just from 1.1 1. 1 in 2013 to 6 million. You know, if you look at the past uh, five years, to, uh, October 2019, so the 2019 fiscal year was 4.1 million, then next year 4.7, 2021 was five, uh, October 2022 is 5.4, and then you got the trailing 12 months uh, is at about 6 million. Uh, operating income has also gone up over time again, but these are just really quite small numbers that we're dealing with here. And over the last uh, three years, I think it's gone from around, you know, it's about five cents to about six cents really in terms of EPS. So decent, but uh, should you pay 17 times earnings for that? Uh, it's about 12 and a half cash out, 12 and a half cash out sounds uh, a little more fair to me. I think it offers fair value if they could have some of that diversification or revenue growth, you know, acquire some of the business from some of the customers that have went out of business or grow internationally, diversify revenues, then you have some upside. Uh, I think right now it trades around fair value. It's a good solid business. If you're looking, you know, one to 10 years out, uh, potentially can continue to compound cash in the business. Uh, but um, you know, we do have that risk that this is a cash kind of based business. Uh, in the end, it's servicing uh, people who are using physical cash. And, you know, that is declining over the long term. So that is kind of a threat for us out there as far as we see the business uh, as a threat for the business. I think that'll close off our show. We got nothing else for you. That's good. Keep your questions coming in again next week. We're going to be hitting our predictions show. So we do that annually. We're going to look back to see what all of us predicted over the past year, see who's right, who is wrong, and make some bold predictions for the upcoming year. Potentially have some individual companies that we'll think will do well, and just some general comments on gold, uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, interest rates, all of that housing. Brennan will have his annual report on the uh, Saskatoon housing market, which will be enthralling for all of us, I'm sure. And we will get to that next week. As always, keep those questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segment. If you're watching this right now, viewing this on iTunes, smash that subscribe button. We love that we're getting more and more subscribers. If you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, rate and review us on only positive reviews. As always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.